Good morning and welcome to Five Alive. It is another beautiful day here in Mahali Chandigarh and we are going to start off by talking a little bit about delay. We were talking about this last week with Jesus delaying to come to Lazarus when he was sent for. And so I just kind of want to start the conversation off today before we even read the passage of scripture about delay. And to delay something means to put it off or to go slower than normal or slower than what the schedule says, to postpone something, to hinder, stop, or detain something for a while. And so just out of curiosity, how do you guys feel when you experience a delay? Like what is the emotion that you feel when there is a delay put in your life? I'll go ahead and share some of mine. Sometimes I get bored. I'll give an example. When I was younger, I was going to a baseball game. And so for those of you who are cricket fans, baseball is somewhat similar to uh, cricket. It's not completely. It's altogether different, but I was going to a baseball game in Atlanta and I was leaving from Tennessee to get into Atlanta. It was a four hour trip. And as we were coming into Atlanta, Georgia, we saw smoke coming up out of the stadium. And there was a fire inside of the stadium when we got there, and we were actually running a little bit late, so we were worried that we were going to miss the first part of the game. However, when arriving and seeing the smoke coming out of the stadium, we realized, I guess we didn't miss the game, and we all sat around outside for six hours, and they still went on with the game. And they started the game very, very late. I think it was like 10 or 11 o'clock at night that they started the game, and it went until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. I mean, it was just crazy. There was a fire delay that day. And so I can remember a sense of emotions that went on. First of all, I was bored. We were rushing to get there and we had all of this energy. Oh no, we're going to be late. We're rushing. We're driving real fast. And as we come in, we're delayed. And so now I'm kind of anxious, but I'm upset because here I've been rushing to get somewhere to be on time and now it's delayed. I was uncomfortable because it's like there's a period where you're sitting there you're like well maybe they're going to cancel this and I've spent this money to go to this event and now I'm not going to be able to participate. So there's this uncomfortability inside of you. Uh, the longer the delay goes on the more I got tired and again boredom, uh, boredom just continued to set in. Now the game that we ended up watching was a fantastic game. It was one of the best games I've ever seen in baseball and I'm not a huge baseball fan. I was mostly going for being with my friends. But what do you guys feel when you experience a delay? When I was young, younger and still am now, uh, I'm very time management. Like I have, I like being on time and or within the time period. You like a schedule. I like I do which is funny because, you know, like, I like a schedule, but I don't always like cleaning my room or something like that, which doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> no, that's fine. But I like having a time schedule and being there, like, on time or at least in between this time and that time. And whenever we would never leave on time or something like that, it would frustrate me because, mm. like, you said we were leaving at this time and we haven't left yet. Why haven't we left yet? But the older I've gotten, I've just become more lenient about it and just... Go go with the flow. <laughs> go with the flow of life and how it, like, we say we're going to leave at this time. We may not leave at that time, but we're going to leave around that time hmm. and we're going to go. And if someone needs help along the way, we're going to try and help them out. And that may delay us, but we're still going to help them out and other stuff like that. I mean, I don't remember where the story was. It may have been in my schoolwork, but there was a kid who was going to a soccer game with his dad. And they were going to go pick up his friend and they were going to go to a soccer game. So he goes into the car, pick up his friend, and they're on their way to the soccer game. 
they see a car broken down on the side of the road. And the dad says, we need to help them. And the friend, what, Mallory? It's from Superbook. It's from Superbook? Yeah. Okay, it's from Superbook. <laughs> but the friend is okay with it, and they go and help this guy out. But the kid is mad the whole time, like, oh, we're going to be late, this and that, and I have to be on schedule. But in reality, you're helping this one person out. Like, they were really doing a good thing for this person, but the kid didn't understand it because he was more self-centered about himself. Mm, yeah. Over time, I've learned to just go with it. Like, if someone needs help, you help them out. Or if this delay happens, then you just wait for the next time whenever you can go again. Or, like, especially in airports. <laughs> yeah. Because we, we travel a lot. Airports have so many delays, <laughs> and a lot of people get super mad about it. Right. But since we travel so much in airports, I've just learned to be, okay, so then the flight's going to be a little bit late. We can do something else and other stuff like that. Like, we've had to sleep inside of the airport for eight hours and sit inside of the Moscow airport for, like, nine hours yeah. waiting for a flight, and it's long but we're not going to be frustrated about it or anything like that. We're just going to sit in the airport, try our best to enjoy our time there, and move on to whenever we get on the airplane. Sure, sure. And and we've also got to consider, especially Aisha understands this full well, I think, right? Uh, airport, talking about airport delays, the whole idea of you're working in the airport. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're getting the receiving end of somebody who's delayed and they're coming to you frustrated and angry. And do they always treat you very well? No, never. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they get quite agitated, frustrated, angry, yeah. yelling. Uh, yes, so much. So much. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, these are some of the reactions people have when they're delayed. Mallory, how do you like delays? Mm -hmm. You don't know. Usually you tell me, Daddy, I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember there was a time Xavier and Mallory were much younger. And so I don't know if Mallory remembers this happening or not. But Addison had had a soccer game, a football match. And uh, we went to it. This was in America. We're going to the football match. And then we had an appointment where we needed to be at the other end of the state in Memphis. So we're in Nashville. We're driving to Memphis later that day after Addison's soccer match. And it's wintertime. So it, it's a little bit colder outside and, and these kinds of things. And Yet, because we're traveling from Nashville, which is further north, to Memphis, which is further south and west, we were just planning, oh, it's just going to be a three-and-a-half-hour trip. It's not going to be a big deal. We'll make it to Addison's football match. And then even some friends afterwards had said, hey, do you want to go out to eat? And so we went out to eat. It wasn't really a big deal to us. And so we went out to eat. So we were a little bit more delayed in getting on the road of what we wanted to do. And as we... Um, as we get on the road, we start hearing reports of snow coming in and we're not thinking like it's a big deal. Like, oh, snow's coming in. That'll be lovely to see some, you know, some snow. And we're thinking it'll just be maybe a centimeter or two, nothing big. And we drive for about an hour and a half. And as we're driving an hour and a half, the snow is getting harder and stronger and harder and stronger. And all of a sudden, we haven't even gotten out of Nashville. I don't think it was baby uh, one hour normally out of Nashville. And there was a big traffic jam. And, and so we're slowly moving, just creeping along on this two-lane uh, interstate. And the snow is still just massively coming down. 
to the point where we start seeing not just a centimeter or two centimeters, but we start seeing inches. And all of a sudden we see a foot of snow and then it's starting to get dark outside. And then we're still in this traffic jam that's just barely slowly moving and cars are starting to slide off the road because of the ice and all of this is going on. And a four hour trip ended up turning into 12 hours. And we are stuck in the middle of the interstate and we have no, uh, no way to get to sleep because we don't, we're in a complete stop. There's no telling when the traffic's going to open back up or what's going to happen. And uh, lo, lo and behold, what ends up happening is there's a few truck drivers and lorries that are in front of everybody. And they decided they weren't going to wait anymore. The snow was too bad. They were just going to go to sleep. So they went to sleep and stopped all of the rest of us from being able to move at all. The police had to come wake those lorry drivers up and get them to start moving so that that way we could go down the road. And the, and the snow was still really bad. Uh, we made it into Memphis. Uh, we went to a person's house to stay with them for the night, uh, for the morning, I should say, because the sun had already rose by the time we made it to their house. So, I mean, this is like leaving at two o'clock in the afternoon and we're reaching their house by 8 a.m. Um, by the time we got there. And it was a huge delay. The truck drivers had gone to sleep, preventing all of the rest of the traffic from being able to move at all. So it brings me to ask a couple of questions of, of myself, because like Xavier was bringing up earlier, how selfish am I in the moment of a delay? Is a delay meant to harm me? Is a delay meant to harm anybody? Like when we, when we're delayed, do we think about those things or we do, do we just anxiously start thinking about, Oh, I've got to get this done. I've got to get here. I've got to do this. I've got to see this show. I've got to like, is that? And so then we feel hurt because we believe someone or something has harmed us from being able to achieve our goal. How about this? Uh, is a delay meant to expose our character? You know, people always say, Oh, be patient or, uh, uh you're being taught patience in this moment. And I have started saying in the past couple of years, I'm not being taught patience anymore. I learned patience very well. Um, uh, I can't keep learning about it. I'm experiencing patience in this moment. There's no more learning patience. I'm not being taught patience. I'm, a, I'm experiencing uh, whether I really am a patient person or not. Is a delay meant to strengthen your resolve or our resolve as a person to make us a stronger human being? Just one more question is, is, is a delay uh, only against me as an individual? Like, is it only an effect of me? And most delays, like the delay of the snow that uh, where we were taking this trip, it didn't just affect me. It didn't just affect Blair or Mallory or Xavier or Addison. It affected a whole bunch of people that were on the road that day, going in both directions, both uh, south, uh, west, and northeast. We were all affected as a result, but I can become so selfish, as Xavier brought up earlier, that I think this is only affecting me. So when it comes to delay, what do you guys, what do you guys think? What do you experience whenever it comes to a delay? Like, especially when it comes to, we know God is delaying something for our betterment, but yet it's delayed. How do, how do we, how do we take that? Some of us take it as a, still as frustration, but we even go farther to an extreme of at being angry with God and hating God because he didn't do this for me. And like we've said multiple times before, we don't work God doesn't work for us. We work for God. Hmm. And so like that, like thinking about that, like 
if you ask your boss to do some request from your boss to do something, but he doesn't get around to it later, do you automatically start hating your boss and all this other stuff? <laughs> right. Not always. You just wait until they get it done. But as for us, we think of God as under us instead of us really realizing that he's above us. Well, even in your example of the boss, there are times that people then say, well, if I was the boss, I would have done this already. Yeah. And so then we have this negative or bad attitude towards our our employer Mm -hmm. um, saying I'm better than they are, which again, this is not a desirable quality within us as Christian believers because we're supposed to look at others and love them or love your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, so the, these these are exposures, definitely. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts? I would say if um, there is a delay, we as man try to solve the problem yeah. instead mm-hmm. of patiently waiting. Definitely. Yeah, that's great insight. I, I, I didn't even write that down. Thank you. Anything else? All right, so Jesus is delayed, and he's delayed on purpose. He purposely delayed himself in coming to Mary and Martha and being with Lazarus. Uh, So he postponed himself in getting there, and uh, we're going to go ahead and pick up with the reading. This is John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27 that we're going to get to today because there's just so much that's going on in in these 10 verses that— really uh, speak to my heart, and I hope they speak to yours. Xavier, will you go ahead and read this passage of Scripture? Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Jesus comes in to to Bethany, just two miles away from Jerusalem. So there are people gathered around and they're mourning the death of Lazarus. They're comforting Mary and Martha. The big city is just there. We're we're basically in a suburb of a major city. And, And so everybody has come to gather around these wonderful people in the tragedy of the death of their brother. And Jesus comes and Martha hears that he's coming. Now, this isn't like, you know, she gets a cell phone call or a text message saying, hey, Jesus is on his way or anything like that. But she hears through through people, Jesus is coming. And so her reaction, Martha's reaction is to go to Jesus. Mary, now notice Mary's reaction is to sit in the house. Martha's is to go to Jesus. And so Martha goes to Jesus. And we're going to discuss Martha in her faith today. And that's the first thing that I really want to see is through the delay of Jesus not coming immediately to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and the tragic death of her brother, Martha has an increase of faith. Her faith increases. That's that's the first thing I want us to notice today is she has her faith increase. Now, how does someone's faith or their resolve increase in the midst of a tragedy? Like usually we, we look at the scenario and we say, oh, 
woe is me. Oh, poor pitiful me. Oh, you need to come and console me. And Martha's not doing that. Martha is going to Jesus. So how could her faith increase in this moment of tragedy of the death of her brother and not be so self-inflective? She knows that her brother is going to become alive. Because she knows that he's going to be resurrected? Yeah. Okay, so she, she trusts in God, right, in this moment. And her trust in God, like, blossoms. Uh, Jesus describes death as uh, being like a seed, being put into the ground. It has to die, and then it will be raised to new life um, in and, and, and one of his parables. And I think Martha really understood that to an extent in this passage of Scripture because she's coming to Jesus, and her faith is really strong because of her trust for Jesus and for her trust in God that, as Mallory is saying, he's going to be resurrected. He's going to come alive again. Like, who is someone that you can trust? God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But why why do we trust in God? Like, what are the things that are um, emotionally tied to, thoughtfully tied to, soulfully tied to our trust in God? His promises are always true. Yeah. And they always come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. He promises something and he follows through on it. Absolutely. Anything else? I mean, he's never not done what he's going to say. He can't say he hasn't because he hasn't. I mean, he's never done wrong and he's never not going to do what he says he's going to do. And you, that's what, those are the qualities of putting a trust in someone is that whenever you trust someone that you expect them to follow through with whatever you ask them to do for you. And uh, even though we trust in humans, we can't always <laughs> trust them because a human's always going to let you down because we're not perfect and we're not immortal beings of goodness knowing what's right and what's wrong and always keeping to our word Mm. because we can change our word within a few seconds you can be with a person oh yeah man i I really like you and then they go behind your back and talk to another person about how much they hate you sure i mean that happens yeah and you can't always trust a person yeah i i wrote down i i trust people whom i love yeah. We talked about love last week, and we talked about it not just in the perverted, worldly way, but in this um, broader sense of the term love. And I can trust someone whom I love. I also can trust someone who I know uh, cares about me. Mm-hmm. And, and I care about them. And Blair and I were talking yesterday, like this whole idea of caring for somebody, like, we're kind of wired in this regard of caring for somebody, even if we just met them like our our care for people in and this just may be a god-given gift to us is to automatically like i met this person and they went through this situation i really want to be there for them and help them out (laughs) and uh they may not even trust me yet but that's okay because i want to i want to care for this person Uh, i also wrote down we trust in people who have authority They have the ability to take care of a scenario or a situation, and we know that they um, and that they'll do do these things on our behalf. Um, Blair has a passage of scripture, Second Corinthians uh, one three through nine. The Apostle Paul's talking here to the Corinthian church as he's addressing 
uh, the Corinthian church, he is bringing forth this thought of being able to be unified and that God is one who unifies us in our good times and our bad times. Blair? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves, we are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in your in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So often we put the Apostle Paul, the author of this passage of Scripture, in almost a godlike status because of how smart he is, how well uh, he traveled the world. He was an amazing missionary. And we kind of put him on this pedestal. But those last few sentences that he wrote that Blair just read about he felt an affliction that was so great, he almost thought that he was going to die and yet was willing to go through it because he knew whom he had his faith and trust in, and that he would raise him from the dead. Is do you, From the way Mallory was describing things a little bit earlier, I think Martha has the same kinds of expectation, that she trusts God, she trusts Jesus so much that she knows in faith that anything that Jesus asks for, it will happen. Like a son who is going to inherit from his father, right? So anything that the son asks from his father it's automatically his already, but does that mean that you just go ahead and take it anyways? What do you do? You wait for it until it's given to you. Or, or you ask. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Right? You say, hey, I need some money. I'm going to take this ACT exam, and uh, then I need a ride in order to get there, and I need somebody to pick me up, right? Mm-hmm. And does your dad do that for you? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so the same is true in this scenario with Jesus is he's the son of God. And so then anything that he asks the father is automatically his. So any Martha saying anything you ask God, the father, you're, you're going to get it. And so I trust in you, Jesus. I'm okay with what's going on right now. And, and I want you to know that I, I, I wish you were here. You weren't. That's okay. Because I know I know my brother's in a better place. I know he is going to be resurrected in the last days. And so she she has her faith. She has her hope increased in this moment. As we read about the Apostle Paul, and as we today must drum up a security and a hope and a faith within ourselves that all is going to be well. So just out of curiosity, is our faith in Jesus as strong in moments of grief as Martha's is in this moment of her grief? When we are grieving, is our faith something that we are standing firm on as a firm foundation that we can say, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, I can trust in Jesus in this moment. What about in moments when everything is good? 
What about in those moments where it's so easy to think, I did all of this myself, nobody else ever helped me, and so why do I need to trust in God? Is our faith still secure in those moments too? Because sometimes our testing, sometimes our lives are given these moments of testing where the Lord allows us to accomplish things where we feel like we can claim credit for it as a test to see how strong our faith really is. Martha also in this passage of scripture equates Jesus to God uh, and her pronouncement. If the religious leaders were angry and trying to kill Jesus for a pronouncement of being the son of God, how do you think they would have felt about a woman claiming Jesus is equality with God the father? They'd be mad. They'd be pretty mad, huh? Jesus is, uh, has equated himself equality with God because he is saying, I am the son of God. So anything I ask my father, he will give it to me. Martha's repeating that here. And the testimony of a woman is technically worth less than a man's testimony in these days. They didn't have the value. Like when a court session came in, uh, they were taking witnesses. Usually a woman's testimony wasn't somebody's testimony that they were going to include because it didn't have uh, the heaviness or the, the truth about it. And this is something that we have to ask ourselves whenever we're describing and looking to our Savior Jesus Christ is notice that he is allowing the testimony of a woman, someone who the court wouldn't even allow to give validation. He's allowing her testimony to be described and ascribe him, and he doesn't stop her. He doesn't say, no, I need a man to make this pronouncement. No, I need somebody with more authority to make this a pronouncement. He allows her to make that a pronouncement, and he takes it even further, showing the value that he has for woman equally to that of a man. Religious leaders are also constantly grasping for power at all means. And so this could be something that they take in order to try and destroy Jesus even more. And so Martha making this pronouncement is something that is just very heavy, but very true. And Jesus's response to her making the pronouncement, anything you ask of God, he's going to give you. His reaction is, I am the resurrection. I am the life. What what does what does this mean to you? What does it mean when he says, "I am the resurrection"? He's conquered the grave. He's conquered the grave, but he's alive. Him saying, "I am the resurrection and the life," that's automatically him claiming that he's the one who raised other people from the dead beforehand. Correct. But it also shows us that he's not limited by time either, does it? Yes, it doesn't. Because him saying, "I am the resurrection," meaning anybody in the Bible that we've read about, that had been resurrected beforehand. Jesus did it. Him saying, I am the resurrection, in that moment, is him claiming to have resurrected anybody who was dead. In between that time and even now, anybody who has been risen from the dead, that was all through Jesus. Right. Absolutely. And, and in the future as well. Yes. For us, it's the future. For him, he is not bound by time. So therefore, he is in this moment, the resurrection of the dead, even on the last day that Martha is talking about. Jesus is already there. Mm -hmm. He is already resurrecting the dead in that moment. To us, it's uh, October the 11th, 2020. To Jesus, 
It's all October 11th, 2020, but it's also whatever the future date is of his return. It's also the time that he's raising the dead. It's also the time that he's entering his kingdom. He's not like that. That's the stuff that blows my mind. Like I, I can't comprehend that. Like that is stuff that's like, wait, he's not limited by time. So he's in all of these areas all at once. And yet I am limited to this space. So therefore I struggle with understanding all that, which makes me ask a question of if there's a resurrection and I believe there is, and this world is just temporary, and I believe it is, how does this affect the way that I get emotionally towards my work, my coworkers, people I disagree with, people, a person maybe who robs me or harms me? How, do, how does this temporary situation of something like COVID-19, which yes, it's been in effect for most of 2020, but it's still temporary. I'm 43 years old and COVID-19 has only been nine months of my life, right? So it's just this little small port. It's no longer than the gestation period that I had in my mother's womb at this point in life. And yet it seems to be something that is all consuming for people. So if I notice, if I recognize that this world is but a vapor, my life is but a vapor, um, why do I get so caught up in these temporary moments? And how do I escape or get out of allowing something that's so temporary to consume my life. I think this is something that is answered in Christ because he says, I am the resurrection and he says, I am the life. Now we've described resurrection. And when he says, I am the life, I am the resurrection and the life. He's talking about the fact that he is bringing us out of the temporary and putting us into something that is more permanent. He is removing the things that frustrate us in this uh, split second moment, whether it be a delay, whether it be a, an aggression against us by another person, whether it be a principality or a power trying to move against our family to destroy uh, us. Because remember, the, the, the enemy, the devil, is out to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, all of those things are temporary in light of Christ not only providing resurrection to me, but also life to me. And not just life, but life everlasting. So my hope can stand secure in these words when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Th these may be even something that we need to write down and remember uh, in moments of haste and hesitation and fear so that that way we can be strengthened and make it through those temporary moments or these temporary moments. The third thing that I noticed today in our reading is a belief. Martha pronounces Jesus as God. Anything you ask, he will give you. Jesus doesn't shy away from this testimony. Jesus goes deeper, saying not only that I am God, the tri a part of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but I am the resurrection and life. And then Martha, like you and I, is met with a decision. Do I believe Jesus or do I not believe Martha chooses to believe. And so as a personal question, maybe one for self-reflection, I want to ask you, why do you choose to believe in Christ or why do you choose to not believe in Christ? Why do you delay putting off the decision of making Christ your master, your Lord, and your King? For those of you who haven't delayed that decision, why is it that we are making the choice daily to continue to follow him? 
I choose to believe daily because he is my life. When I'm confronted with my mistakes, with my errors, with my shortcomings, I desire one who's perfect to help me, and that's Jesus. When I'm enjoying a lovely sunset over the ocean and my wife and children are next to me laughing and goofing off and, and we're having an enjoyable time, I also desire that same one who was with me in my hard times and created everything that I'm experiencing in this moment to be with me then. That is also Christ. The day I asked Jesus into my heart, my life was made into a new creation. I was 16 years of age, and I was in a, in a place outside of my house. I was in another state, and I was doing some work, and I can remember it vividly. I heard a voice from God, and it wasn't an audible voice like I'm talking now, but it was a voice from the depths of my soul, and he asked me, Matt, today, if I took your life, would you be with me in eternity or would you be in eternal damnation? Would you be in hell? And I was confronted with a moment where I had to make a believing choice, much like Martha in, in this passage of scripture. And I chose to believe on Christ and I stand on that decision 20 blah, 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 years later. I stand firm on that decision because he has stood the test of time in my life. He has been true. He has been faithful. He has had authority in moments when I felt like everything was out of my control and I had no power whatsoever. He is always there. And so my belief stands firm in him. My faith is strong because I have put him as my firm foundation. He is my resurrection, therefore, and today he is my life. I find my fulfillment in Christ and in Christ alone. Is there anything that maybe you guys want to share of why uh, you chose to believe in Christ? I just want to share with them. <laughs> I remember uh, like those days when I had lose my job mm. and my roommate, she... She just went her hometown and I was crying and crying and just asking, Lord, could you help me? Like, I, I trust in you. You have a good plan for me. I know uh, I, I cannot trust anyone like I know, but you are there because in all the time in my life, in uh, when I start uh, following Jesus, he always stand for me. He always, uh, like, uh, open the way for me. Hmm. So I just, uh, like... Uh, and we are talking about Martha and she believes in it. She stands her faith. I said, Jesus, I know you are there. <laughs> you will open the door for me. I'll, I'm not going to like nervous or just uh, like feeling like, oh, what to do? I don't know. Like this kind of thing. Yes, uh, the the things is there, but I have stand on my faith. Yeah, Jesus, you are with me. I know in this situation, you're going to do something for me. Absolutely. And he did. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Wonderful testimony. Wonderful. And you're asking, why do we believe in Christ? For me, it was it's a conviction of I've done wrong. And so in order to do right, I'm going to ask him to come into my life and help me do the right things. So that way I can live eternally instead of going into eternal damnation and hell. I don't really remember when I first got saved because I was so young, but I feel like it was a, I was convicted of my wrongs even as a three to four year old little boy. I can, was convicted of 
things I've done wrong. Yeah. And you may think, oh, children can't do anything wrong or something like that. But still, at that age, my mind knew that, my heart knew that I was in the wrong. Mm. I was doing the wrong things. And I needed to have a savior to come and help me out of those things and to lead me in my life. And then towards, I may be like 10, like I worshiped Jesus. I always prayed to him. And then I got filled with the Holy Spirit. But then two years later, around 12, I was wondering, why did I ask Jesus into my heart? Yeah. What's up with this Jesus thing? Why did I do this? And I went through it for a while. And in my school lane, I have to do mandatory Bible. <laughs> so I'm reading the Bible every day because I have to. And I'm still asking, why, why do I believe in Jesus? Like, what's so great about Jesus at this time? And then eventually, I just had to repent. Mm. I was in the middle of a Bible class. I was reading it. And I was convicted again mm. of what I was doing wrong. And I could see why I, have, I believe in Jesus and the reasons for it. And that was a conviction on my heart. And we, I know we're not supposed to trust our, <laughs> trust our hearts because the evils, your heart is evil above all things. But still, my heart and my mind and my soul was so convicted mm. that I needed to repent at that moment in time because of the wrong I was in. And so I believe that, I mean, the reason I believe in Christ is because he convicted me of what I'd done wrong. But instead of keeping me there, he leads me into life. Yeah. It's so easy to tell a person what they're doing wrong and how they're doing it wrong. And, oh, you're doing that wrong. Let me do it because you can't do it right ever. Jesus isn't like that. Instead, he says, you're doing this wrong here. So I'm going to take you and you're going to do this the right way. And I'm not going to tell you how to do it because you're going to do it with me. We're going to do this together. Yeah. And it's not him showing you and then leaving. <laughs> you know, like sometimes how we learn things. Like your dad tells you how to use a screwdriver. Okay, you're doing it now. Bye. You're going to screw all these in. <laughs> Instead, Jesus is like, all right, we're doing this together. We're going to screw this screw into this hole or do this this way. And He walk, we walk with him. And the more we desire to be like him and learn and grow in him, the more we walk together and the more <clears throat> instead of always having to ask Jesus his opinion, we already have, already know what to do in that moment in time because the Holy Spirit has already told us to beforehand, I think. Because we've become so close with God that we can know some of the decisions he already wants us to make because the Holy Spirit has told us because we're, as a Christian, we're growing more and more to be one with God mm. as opposed to staying separate from God. Yeah. I mean, I can only think of Enoch. I mean, he walked so close with God. He knew what God wanted. And he walked so close with God that God just took him away. He vanished. He went out walking one day and disappeared, vaporized into thin air. I mean, he knew God's heart, I believe. He felt, he walked so closely with God, and he knew what God wanted him to do. And he didn't always have to ask because God was always there with him. Yeah. And so in that, that's how I want my faith to be, is like an Enoch. Hmm. is always trusting in God to the point where, and I don't want to, I mean, I want to live my life as God wants me to, 
to the point where I can just keep going and then be no more. Yeah, that's a great desire, I think. So we move from Martha's faith being increased through the middle of a big problem. We see her giving testimony to Christ and who he is. We hear Christ going even deeper in describing to Martha that I am the resurrection and the life. And then we see her come to a decision. That's not just a decision that she makes in her mind. She doesn't just in her heart say, did you hear what I just said in my heart? No. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into this world. She makes a confession, a proclamation. She doesn't just do it with inside of her. She doesn't just do it with her brain going, okay, I know Jesus is Lord. She makes the proclamation. She makes the confession out loud. Anybody that's there, even if it's just her and Jesus, that's not the issue. No matter who was around her in that moment, she didn't worry about that. She said, yes, Lord, I believe you're Messiah. I believe you're the Christ. I believe you're the Son of God. And so that makes me, encourages me, and um, gets me a little excited to say, like, how am I making my confession for Christ on a daily basis? How strongly convicted, as Xavier was saying earlier, not of my sins and sorrows and despair and tragedy and all of these things that need to be removed out of my life, but what joy springs up within me that I want to make a confession, a pronouncement to anybody and everybody that I come into contact with that Jesus is Lord. So how does confession affect my life? Is it something like... I, I was raised in a, in a scenario where you don't pray out loud. You pray to yourself. You pray quietly. You 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 look like uh, um, you know your your uh, your eyes are closed. Your hands are put together, and and, and you don't move your lips. Um, what what is it that confession actually using your mouth to make a confession? What does this do for us, or what does it do for you? For me, it resonates the truth. If you hear yourself speak and then you listen mm. as you're speaking, it goes back in through the ears and perfectly down deep into the soul. I know that in the olden, olden Stoic times, people would read manuscripts. They would read the papyrus. They would read the different ways that people had written things. And the common way to read was to read aloud. Nowadays, it's more commonplace for people to silently read. We don't read aloud. But I think that the, that's a, kind of a lost art for us. I, I am in the stage of my life where I enjoy reading aloud, for not just for confession purposes, but also to be able to understand what I'm saying. And sometimes, as Xavier was saying earlier, my heart can deceive me. And if I just silently praying within myself, my heart will trick me and I will not make a full confession. I will, oh yeah, I, I did that. And nobody know. you know, there's no accountability for whether I really, uh, uh, when I repent, did I fully repent? Oh yeah, I fully repented. Well, how do we know? Well, because my heart is trying to trick me into saying, yeah, you gave everything to God, but just hold this one thing back. Like, Give all 90% to God, but hold just this 10% back. Take, take this one thing and keep it to yourself. 
you hide it from everybody. You don't let anybody else see it. You don't let anybody else know. Like maybe it's cheating. Like I, 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 I give God everything, but I'm going to continue to cheat. I'm going to continue to rob from people. I'm going to continue to steal thoughts and ideas. And, and this is not a godly way of doing things, but that's the one thing that I'm not going to confess. And how would anybody know outside of God himself? Which brings me to the, the part of Martha's confession being whole. It's a hundred percent. She's giving her all to Christ. And when we're making these confessions of who Jesus is, she's doing it amongst whom she lives with. She pronounced Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. And brazenly did it. Right. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. it was she was unashamed. She was making a pronouncement. Yes, your Lord. Yes, I believe your Messiah. I asked myself a few questions in making preparation today, and it, they were these, like, to confess Christ, how does that affect my work? How does it affect the way I talk to people? How does that affect the way that I treat others? How does that affect the way I respond to offenses? And just, and I allowed those to start going through my mind. And and I started thinking, you know what? I, I'm a man uh, who is obedient to Jesus and my work by doing these things. I give 100% when I'm at work. I, I don't cheat my boss. I don't cheat by um, skipping in late, but yet putting myself down on a punch card as if I was on time. I, I don't skip out on work and let nobody know. I respect my boss. I respect my coworkers. I I don't miss deadlines. Um, I work late in order to get the job done. I arrive early to get the job done. I participate. I don't isolate myself. These are, these are ways that I can confess Christ in my work. And I know it sounds like, wait, but you're not just saying Jesus is Lord and Messiah to all of your coworkers. That's not the point that I'm trying to make. I confess Jesus by the way I do my job as if I'm working for Jesus himself. And that's what this confession that Martha's doing is. And again, I find it so fascinating. John the apostle is putting this in scripture of the person that proclaims Jesus as Messiah is a woman. Again, somebody that in this cultural time would not be respected by anybody. And yet she's the one to make the confession. How powerful is that for women? How powerful is that for those that are of another culture or another race or somebody that isn't Israeli, isn't Jew, uh, a Jewish, somebody who is black or white or brown or yellow or red or it doesn't matter. Jesus isn't worried about those things. Jesus loves you and all he needs you to do is to hear those words that he's telling us today. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? And we're given that opportunity and that choice. So I ask you, do you believe? We have two more passages of scripture, and I hope these encourage you. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and then we're going to skip into First Peter uh, 2, 11 through 12. And so Aisha, will you read First Peter 2, 9? But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And Mallory, will you read First uh, Peter 2, 11 and 12? Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passage 
passions of the flesh what wage war against your soul keep your accountant among the conduct among the uh, gentiles honorable. honorable so that when they speak against the you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is God's word. I hope it encourages all of us today to see how Martha, in the midst of problems, her faith was increased. How Jesus, again, as always, fulfills a promise and says, Worry not, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha's belief becomes strong as she's given that opportunity to make a commitment. And she makes a confession. She confesses Christ as her Messiah and as the Son of God. Let us continue to seek after his face with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let us continue to not be ashamed. Let us continue to love our neighbor as ourselves, no matter their background, no matter where they're from, no matter their culture or their skin color or the, the part of the world they come from or how different they are, or even if they disagree with us, let us learn to be better men and women whom love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Mallory, will you pray? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day, and that we will all have a great day today, and that everybody will be safe, and nobody gets sick with coronavirus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.